Hello, this is Dr. Pengshan Chen, the Editor-in-Chief of Heart Rhythm. Thank you for listening to the April 2019 issue of the Heart Rhythm Podcast. The featured article this month is titled, In Utero Exposure to Nicotine Abolishes the Postnatal Response of the Cardiac Sodium Current to Isoproteranol in Newborn Rabbit Atrium by Beat L. from the University of Sherbrooke in Canada. An accompanying video author interview conducted by our online editor, Dr. Daniel Mooring, can be found at the www.hotrhythmjournal.com website. The authors studied the sodium current of isolated rabbit cardiomyocytes. They found that isoproteranol increases sodium current by 50% in newborn sham rabbits, but had no effect in newborn rabbits exposed to nicotine in utero. These findings link fetal exposure to nicotine to persistent alterations of sodium current responses to isoproteranol. The authors proposed that these phenomena may be involved in sudden infant death syndrome. They also raised concerns about the use of nicotine replacement therapies for pregnant women. The next article is written by Bloom et al. from University Hospital Basel, Switzerland, and is titled Incidents and Predictors of Atrial Fibrillation Progression, a Systematic Review and Meta-Analysis. The authors extracted the number of cases with progression from paroxysmal to persistent AF and from paroxysmal to permanent AF and from persistent to permanent AF. They found that the instance of AF progression appears to be relatively low, and the instance seems to go down with longer follow-up. Age, hypertension, baseline atrial fibrillation type, and the follow-up duration explained a high proportion of the observed between-study heterogeneity. Because the existence of hypertension was significantly associated with AF progression, studies are needed to assess whether optimal blood pressure control may help to reduce AF progression in these patients. Up next is impact of arrhythmogenic potential of long lines of conduction slowing at the pulmonary vein area, written by Maus et al. from the Erasmus Medical Center, Rotterdam. The authors performed an intraoperative high-density epicardial mapping of the pulmonary vein area in patients with and without preoperative atrial fibrillation. They found that atrial fibrillation patients more often present with continuous lines of adjacent areas of conduction delay and block than patients without atrial fibrillation. However, there is a considerable overlap in the amount of conduction abnormalities between patients with a history of paroxysmal and persistent AF. The presence of the conduction abnormalities suggests that reentry in the pulmonary vein area might play a role in the mechanism of atrial fibrillation. King and all from Chungnam National University Hospital, Daejeon, Korea wrote the following paper titled 
atrial fibrillation occurring during head-up tilt testing. They analyzed instance short and long-term prognosis and predictors for adverse outcomes of AF detected during head-up tilts in patients without AF in history. The instance of AF during head-up tilt was about 0.8%, and short-term prognosis was favorable. However, about half of the cases had recurrences of AF after three years of follow-up. Patients with AF lasting more than one hour had worse outcomes. Therefore, AF induced by head-up tilt cannot be ignored. These patients need long-term regular follow-up care. The next article is titled Caster Ablation of Premature Ventricular Complexes Arising from the Left Fascicular System by Zhang et al. from Wuhan Asian Heart Hospital, China. The study had 27 patients. All the PVCs presented with a relatively narrow QRS and right bundle branch block morphology. The authors found that the ablation of PVCs originating from the left fascicular system, guided by an earliest pre-systolic fascicular potential, was found to be safe and effective. It is interesting to note that these patients reported palpitations, chest discomfort, and dizziness, but no heart failure prior to ablation. Next up is a paper titled, Ablation Compared with Drug Therapy for Recurrent Ventricular Tachycardia in Arrhythmogenic Right Ventricular Cardiomyopathy by Mahinda et al. from the Brigham Women's Hospital in Boston. This is a multi-center retrospective study including 110 ARVC patients. The authors found that amongst ARVC patients with a high VT burden, mortality and transplantation-free survival is not significantly different between drug and ablation-treated patients. These patients have a high risk of recurrent VT despite drug therapy. Combined endocardial epicardial ablation is associated with reduced VT recurrence compared to endocardial-only ablation. This study is limited by a lack of randomization. Sheraf Daba et al. from the University of Michigan wrote the following article titled Significance of Clinical Ventricular Tachycardias Induced by Anti-Tachycardia Pacing in Patients with Prior Myocardial Infarction. Stored ICD electrograms of 162 consecutive patients with prior myocardial infarction referred for VT ablation were reviewed. They found that 28% of recorded VTs were ATP-induced. The presence of ATP-induced VT is associated with a higher VT recurrence rate post-ablation. None of the ATP-induced VTs recorded prior to the ablation procedure recurred post-ablation and therefore, ATP-induced VTs represent a marker of VT recurrence risk, rather than the cause for VT recurrence. These findings are consistent with the previous observation 
that the presence of multiple inducible non-clinical VTs is associated with more VT recurrences after ablation. Next up is a simple mechanism underlying the behavior of reentrant atrial tachycardia during ablation by Takigawa et al. from Bordeaux University Hospital. The authors developed an algorithm to predict termination and conversion of atrial tachycardia based on the wavefront collision. They report that the accuracy to predict AT termination conversion and the second AT circuit was 96% using that algorithm. Knowing this information could help the operator to modify the ablation strategy and to select the most effective ablation line. The next paper is titled Use and Outcomes of Subcutaneously uh, Implantable Cardioverter Defibrillator After Transvenous ICD Extraction by Viani et al. from University Hospital Pisa, Italy. This analysis describes current practice concerning SICD use after transvenous ICD explantation in 229 patients from 12 Italian centers. Their results show an increasing use of SICD over the years in patients who have undergone transvenous ICD explantation. And SICD is preferably adopted in young patients mostly in the case of infection. Complication rate was comparable between transvenous and subcutaneous ICD groups and decreased when a sub or intermuscular SICD generator position was adopted. The SICD's safety profile seemed equivalent to that of transvenous ICD in this analysis. These results provide evidence in favor of adopting SICD in patients following extraction of transvenous ICD. El Chami et al. from Emory University wrote the next paper titled Long-Term Performance of a Pacing Lead Family. This is a single-center retrospective analysis of tendril leads as compared to other pacing leads. Lead malfunction uh, rates at five years were 7% for tendril versus 2.1% for non-tendril leads. During follow-up of 10 years, the instance of lead malfunction of optim insulated tendril leads was significantly higher than that of the non-optim insulated tendril leads. The authors conclude that tendril leads appear to have a higher rate of malfunction than uh, comparator leads. The optim insulation may partly explain the higher failure rate. While this study raises the question of, uh, of the reliability of the Abbott optim leads, it definitely calls for more prospective evaluation of pacemaker leads. Oshensky et al. from the University of Iowa Hospitals wrote the next article titled Competitive Athletes with Implantable Cardioverter Defibrillators, How to Program. The data from this study came from the ICD Sports Registry. In this cohort, 62% were programmed with a high rate cutoff and 30% percent 
with long detection. Programming a high-rate cutoff was associated with decreased risk of total and inappropriate shocks overall and during competition or practice. Programming long-detecting intervals was associated with fewer total shocks. The authors conclude that high-rate cutoff and long-detection duration programming of ICDs in athletes at risk of sudden death can reduce total and inappropriate ICD shocks without affecting survival or the instance of loss of consciousness. However, because all participants had transvenous ICDs, these data do not apply to patients with subcutaneous ICDs. Next up is association of regional myocardial conduction velocity with the distribution of hypoattenuation on contrast-enhanced perfusion-computed tomography in patients with post-infarct ventricular tachycardia by Tenkaya et al. from Hospital of the University of Pennsylvania. 14 patients with post-infarct VT underwent pre-procedural contrast-enhanced perfusion multi-detector CT, followed by endocardial electroanatomical mapping and ablation. The authors found that the myocardial attenuation distribution on CT is associated with reduced regional conduction velocity and electrogram amplitude. Regions with low conduction velocity identified with low attenuation on contrast-enhanced perfusion multi-detector CT may serve as important VT substrates in post-infarct patients. Incorporation of that imaging method may complement electroanatomical mapping and result in new strategies for RF caster ablation in patients with post-infarct VT. O'Quinn et al. from Virginia Commonwealth University Medical Center wrote the next article titled Epicardial Injection of Nano-Formulated Calcium into Cardiac Ganglionic Plexi Suppresses Autonomic Nerve Activity and Post-Operative Atrial Fibrillation. When injected into GP, the time-release nano-formulated calcium chloride increases intracellular calcium and triggers apoptosis of the neuronal cells. The authors injected that substance into the left pulmonary vein, GP, in a canine model AF. They showed that the injection induced neural apoptosis and modulated autonomic function. This reversed the post-operative reduction in atrial effective refractory period and the suppressed post-operative atrial fibrillation. The small diameter of the nanoparticles facilitates the internalization of the payload, leading to neuronal cell death. This new method may be helpful in achieving effective GP ablations. The next article is titled Bachmann Bundle and Interatrial Conduction comparing atrial morphology to electrical activity by No et al. from Erasmus University Medical Center, Rotterdam. High-resolution epicardial mapping over Bachmann's bundle during sinus rhythm was performed in 185 patients undergoing coronary artery bypass graft surgery. 
The results showed that Bachmann's bundle is not always activated in a right-to-left direction in almost one-third of patients. Away from emerging or entering in the middle of Bachmann's bundle was also observed. A newly found post, uh, posterior superior bundle was consistently seen. Knowledge on the morphology of the interatrial bundles and how it relates to interatrial conduction can help interpret observations of electrical activity in this area. Wang et al. from the Craner Institute of Cardiology in Indianapolis wrote the article titled Small Conductance Calcium Activated Potassium Current Modulates the Ventricular Escape Rhythm in Normal Rabbit Hearts. This study utilizes rabbit pseudotendon, which contains Purkinje cells that richly express the small conductance calcium-activated potassium current, or SK current. The authors found that, contrary to its bradycardic effect in the sinus node, SK current blockade by apamine accelerates ventricular automaticity and causes repeated non-sustained VT in normal ventricles. These findings indicate that SK current is important in Purkinje fiber automaticity and may play a role in generating PVCs in the VTs. Next up is a contemporary review article titled Evaluation and Management of Ventricular Tachycardia in Patients with Dilated Cardiomyopathy by Ebert et al. from University of Leipzig, Germany. That article is followed by a hands-on article by Reddy et al. titled Mitral Isthmus Ablation, a hierarchical approach guided by electroanatomical correlation. This month's HRS 40th anniversary viewpoints is written by Dr. James Cox, titled Reflections on a Career in Arrhythmia Surgery. I hope you enjoyed this podcast. For Heart Rhythm, I'm Editor-in-Chief Dr. Pen Shen Chen.